Welcome to Navigating the New Normal, Grant Thornton's podcast exploring trends in business and the marketplace. I'm Therese Raft and today I'm joined by Thomas Isbell, Partner and Remunerations Tax Specialist. In light of the new FTA with the UK, agreed in principle, including new visa arrangements for Australian and British citizens, and increasing demands from businesses for better access to skilled migration, Today, we're talking about the current state of play for global mobility and what the future of skilled migration could look like. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Therese, for having me. So, Tom, there's a lot of unknowns at the moment. Last Friday, the Prime Minister outlined a bare-bones plan to reopen Australia to the world, and by all accounts, our international borders likely won't open until mid-next year at the earliest. What kind of pressure is this putting on businesses? Well, Therese, I think it's putting a huge amount of pressure on businesses. And when I think about this, just across my own experience and my own client base in, in recent months, there's been a lot of inhibitors for our clients in their ability to be able to attract talent, for one, in their ability to be able to raise capital and access markets, in their ability to make sales or resolve supply chain issues. And I think the longer that we stay closed, the more and more difficult this is This is going to get. Um, just this morning, I was reading an article that was in the AFR, and it's mostly focused around startups. They were really sort of focused on those startups and their ability to survive and create scale so long as they can't travel. It's interesting because a lot of our clients have taken this um, issue as a reason to pivot and a lot of them have gone to new solutions in terms of how they deal with these issues. For example, a lot of our clients are looking to retain talent in overseas locations where the person sits rather than bringing them into Australia as they traditionally would have done. And whilst this is a great solution and you know fixes a lot of short-term issues, especially around you know those sort of tech space and you know other types of um, roles where people can work remotely, there is issues that are arising in terms of the compliance risks and also, I suppose, the ongoing litigation risk that's associated with hiring people in foreign jurisdictions. And there's a bigger, badder, longer term issue here as well. The government has also recently released their intergenerational report, which is predicting we'll have a much smaller and older population in the years ahead. So this means we will need to rely even more on migration for growth. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose that's always been the case. I read an article the other day that said that we have 30% of our citizens were born overseas. So whilst that's nothing new, um, it does feel like we're going to have to focus more on migration to get that growth and to maintain that, that checkbook that we rely so heavily upon. And the other thing is we're seeing is we're seeing expats starting to spill out of Australia. You know, and I'm acutely aware this, of this both on a personal level and a professional level. Early in the piece, we saw a lot of expats coming home. They'd already started coming home to Australia from Hong Kong. Then as COVID started to bite, we saw Australian expats coming home from Singapore, New York, you know, the US and uh, the UK as things got worse there. And with that, they brought a lot of capital with them. And we've seen a lot of, I suppose, um, high level of skills return to Australia and bringing capital with them. The tide turns and we start to see the Northern Hemisphere open up. I really start to see more and more both my professional network and my personal network look to the Northern Hemisphere as not just somewhere that they'd like to be professionally, but somewhere they'd like to be personally. 
Um, and I feel like as the longer we stay closed, the more we're going to see that skills extract and you know the departure of of skills from Australia into the northern hemisphere. That's certainly something I think all of us have experienced in our personal professional network. So when borders open, whenever that may be, can we then expect a deluge of skilled people to want to come back to Australia? I mean, I certainly hope so. I came here, um, you know, for, from the UK many, many years ago, and certainly the lifestyle is, is what attracted me in the first place. But I think that, you know, the longer that we stay shut, the more the Northern Hemisphere businesses are going to be looking to swallow up that talent. You know, we read about the skills shortage in the US. We read about the skills shortage in the UK. Uh, they're coming out of lockdown. They do have probably deeper pockets than a lot of organisations here, so they can afford to, to do more with remuneration. And if it's hard to get into Australia, you know, whilst people might be accepting roles here currently, they will obviously have to make alternative arrangements if those roles can't be sustained for a longer period of time. And we do need to remember that, you know, when we're looking at, you know, that, that level of skills um, required to really stimulate an economy, there is a bit of a shortage of that talent pool of STEM type roles and so on and so forth. So we really are competing on a global level, not just a local or regional level. And like you say, the competition for talent is now global. It's clearly not just within Australia. So what do we need to do to incentivise people to come here? I'm not sure we can just rely on lifestyle. Yeah, it's good. And no doubt Australia does have a great standard of living. There's, there's uh, no two ways about that. I suppose when you think about, you know, the high achievers of the world, if you're in finance, you probably want to go to New York or London because they're the financial centres. If you're in IT, you probably want to go to Silicon Valley. I think one of the many things that we need to do in Australia is start moving to be perceived as a, a centre of excellence in, in the areas that we want to compete in. And I know that there's uh, Minister Peter Verwer and the Special Envoy for Global Business and Talent Attraction has been working across multi-agencies to try and achieve that. And what they're trying to do is look at things like the time it takes for businesses to set up here, incubation for, for you know for great ideas especially in the fields that we want to operate in and really making some great moves in that direction i mean a lot of those efforts are somewhat inhibited um, so long as the, the 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 borders are shut and you know we are as a as a nation with the free trade agreement that we signed signed with the uk trying to position ourselves as a springboard into the asia pacific region and uh, Peter Verwer's efforts in that vein are obviously going in the right direction. But we do have that ongoing issue that Singapore has that mantle pretty well tied up already. And they already have the ease of doing business and they have additional tax incentives that we don't currently have um, and are possibly quite attractive to organisations looking for a, a suitable jurisdiction. So that all sounds like some really positive movement. However, we can't ignore the fact that the way we work has now fundamentally changed. I think we're seeing stories come out from all different parts of the world about companies telling their people they can work from home forever. So if you can work from home or from wherever you want in the world, why would anyone want to relocate to Australia? Well... Obviously, in my opinion, Australia is the best place in the world to live, and hence why I'm there, so a bit biased. Um, but I think we do have the tyranny of distance. 
um, and something that we should also be cognizant of. I mean, flexible working arrangements are, um, I think, somewhat oversold by some organisations, but they are definitely a part of our future and, and going to be very much a part of our way of working into the future and I think forever. Um, you see some organisations are starting to encourage or call people back into the office and that's their cultural decision. Um, however, if you are going to have a flexible working arrangement, you do have to be cognizant that there is a lot of risk associated with that. And it's not just, you know, the obvious risks that are associated with that, i.e. employment law, tax. Really, you can't control where people are and, you know, our ability to collaborate um, if you're not seeing each other face to face on a regular basis. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, movement towards that remote work infrastructure put in place. And obviously there's things such as cyber risk and so on and so forth that people are talking a lot about, but also thinking about, you know, the health and well-being of your team, wherever they may be, thinking about, you know, how you can manage productivity, especially if you've got a multi-time zone issue, but also, you know, how do you manage the, the day-to-day communication interactions with each, with each other? So whilst I think that the flexible working arrangement is very much here to stay. I think that firms will find that there's difficulties associated with managing not just the compliance and risk side of things that we talk about a lot, but also managing the day-to-day practicalities of doing so. But I think, you know, in that war for talent, as we were talking about earlier, people are going to expect the ability to work remotely and the ability to work where they want and to some degree when they want with the level of autonomy that they want. So it's something that we will need to be cognizant of um, as organisations and build into our into our overall value proposition. So that's flexible working. I am wondering, though, are you seeing any other interesting or innovative ways that companies or clients are looking to remunerate their people or attract people, incentivize them, retain them? I think the key the key that we're seeing now is far more flexibility around that. And I think one of the points that we we see quite a lot is the bigger, more established organisations would typically have uh, policies and procedures associated with attracting and retaining people um, and are sometimes less able to pivot from that framework into a new framework. And what we're seeing now is a lot of the smaller to medium-sized enterprises are able to do that a lot quicker. And what they're offering is, you know, different incentives such as employee share schemes where appropriate, but also looking at job share arrangements and pivoting the types of roles that people do to make sure that they can be as flexible as possible and retain the staff that they have, but also, you know, ability to attract staff from other areas where they may not have been able to do so in the past. Oh, well, Tom, that sounds a little bit like a levelling of the playing field there. I hope so. Fingers crossed. If we can turn to the government now, obviously they have priority skill list for migration and new visa arrangements under negotiation with, I'm sure, plenty more to come. But is there anything we're missing from them, perhaps in terms of policy or investment that can help make Australian companies more attractive for skilled migrants down the track? 
I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the global business and attraction team do. As I said earlier, they're taking big strides towards attracting businesses and talent to Australia. And, and you might remember that the UK had their whole, the UK PLC is open for business campaign. And there was a lot of moves made in the UK to, to make it simpler and easier for businesses to set up and operate there. So I'm expecting to see something broadly similar come out of the, the team here. But I suppose at a really basic level, you know, if we want to talk about once the borders open, getting expatriates into Australia, you may remember many years ago, we had the living away from home allowance regime, which was a um, almost a concession, concession for, for expatriates relocating to Australia. And I'll be the first to admit, perhaps it was possibly a bit too generous and perhaps it was maybe too readily available to people taking advantage of it and exploiting it. However, since that's been restricted so that the expatriates coming in can't use it, I really do feel like we're left wanting for any type of concession. And it's very expensive to get people to relocate here in the first place. So I really would like to see maybe a reintroduction of the living away from home allowance regime, perhaps albeit somewhat limited to a shorter period. And also, I'm keen to see what the Asian visa regime will look like. Obviously, that's really targeted at uh, the agricultural industry. But I wonder if we can leverage that Asian visa regime for, for you know, broader skills shortages in Australia. And obviously, that would help contribute to the overall migration deficit in the medium term as well. So, well, plenty to look forward to. But in the meantime, do you have any advice for companies that are struggling with global mobility or really the, the lack of global mobility in their organisations right now? Yeah, I think that the interesting thing about that question is I don't really look at our industry as global mobility per se anymore. It's more of a global talent management role. And what we're really looking at is, as I mentioned earlier, if you have a traditional mobility policy then, and you're trying to operate within that traditional mobility policy, I suggest that you probably want to tear that up um, and start again. And your framework should offer the flexibility that you need to employ talent where they are as required, to deploy talent to where they may want to be as required, um, and offer the flexibility to do that. But also, I suppose, the rigidity to manage the risks associated with it within your organization's risk parameters. That's the, the greatest piece of advice I could give you in the current climate. Well, Tom, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Therese. Now, Tom, can people track you down on LinkedIn, phone or email if they'd like to talk more about what's next for skilled migration and uh, global talent management? Yeah, absolutely. My contact details are on all of the above Grant Thornton website or also on LinkedIn. Wonderful. If you liked this podcast and would like to hear more, you can find and subscribe to Grant Thornton Australia on Apple Podcasts or Spotify.